Welcome to episode 107 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, we have a cookbook. And we'll share some behind-the-scenes details along with some tips to help you create your own backpacking recipes. Then on the Summit Gear Review, a flameless cooker that will keep your meals hot and toasty to the last bite. Next, our backpack hack of the week is the recipe we've hyped for months, and we promise it's worth it. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. I'm so excited because today is the day that our cookbook goes up for sale. It launches. We first mentioned the idea of a cookbook, I think, over a year ago. Probably. Yeah. On one of the podcast episodes, we said, hey, we're working on a cookbook. We're not sure when it'll come out. And then it took a while. And that cookbook that we kind of had started went through so many transformations. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe I'll make a really healthy cookbook. But as I kind of experimented more with recipes, I was like, meh, no. If it's going to be something that our listeners can really use, then it has to be quick and easy recipes. Yeah, I know you wanted to make sure that all of the ingredients were not only short ingredient lists for the recipes, so you didn't have to get too many things to put together, but also ingredients that are easy to find. You can just go to the local grocery store and they're all going to be there. Yeah, but what you said about having a short ingredient list, that was a huge factor in a lot of these recipes. Because when I go to make a recipe and I see something, you know, that has 12 or 15 different ingredients, automatically I'm kind of put off by it and I'm like, is there something they could have left out and it it would still be just as good or still taste the same? So I really took that into consideration when I was creating the recipes. I just wanted recipes that were as simple as dirt. It didn't taste like dirt. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. (laughs) And as we were compiling the book, what you did is you took a meal that someone might want to have on the trail And then you boil it down to its essence and said, well, you know what? If you only take these three ingredients, you'll get what you're looking for. And one of the reasons behind making the recipes as simple as possible is because when we were about halfway through the recipe testing process, we decided to go on a backpacking trip. And Josh said, well, are you going to take any of the recipes that you've been working on? And I said, no, I don't have time to put those together. They just required too many steps, too many ingredients. And I said, you know what, I've got to rework some of these and make them dead simple. So that was a red flag. If we weren't personally willing to prep uh, some of these recipes that you'd been working on and take them on our own family backpacking trip, then it meant time to rework and time to simplify them and get them down to where we personally would be saying, oh, yeah, let's grab that because it's super easy. Yeah. Another priority that I had while I was creating this cookbook was I wanted the recipes to be idiot-proof. So I had tried making mac and cheese with macaroni noodles using a backpacking stove, but the pot kept boiling over, and so I had to sit there and babysit the noodles. 
and just make sure the pot didn't boil over. And I knew that I did not want to be doing that while I was backpacking. So I decided for the pasta recipes in the cookbook to use ramen noodles, because really with ramen noodles, you're not really boiling them. You're just rehydrating them because they're already pre-cooked, I guess, or they're fried. They're like fried flour noodles. So, you know, not healthy. We're not promising that anything in this cookbook is going to be healthy, but it's going to be fuel for the trail, which is why we chose the name Trail Fuel for this cookbook. I think the hardest part of creating this cookbook was the fact that the recipes are nearly devoid of vegetables. (laughs) And Josh and I and our kids, we love eating healthy. And so I think we're still kind of recovering from all that recipe testing. I mean, that is kind of one of the odd things about backpacking is that it's really challenging to get whole food, healthy meals that are full of vegetables, fresh vegetables, out on the trail. You're right. In fact, something that makes this book different from the typical, you know, just general cookbook that you would pick up is the focus on calories. Most cookbooks that you pick up are going to tell you how to reduce calories. And they're going to say, oh, this recipe has only 250 calories. This is a great, healthy recipe. And in trail fuel, it's completely the opposite. This recipe has a thousand calories. That's great. It's loaded with <laughs> calories. And what's the calories per ounce rating? You know, we, we want to target a hundred calories per ounce or higher in all of these recipes. We might not have made it quite to that level with a few of the recipes, but we're really going for calorie density compared to the, the amount of weight that you're carrying to um, pack this stuff on the trail. And that's just totally different from the traditional approach to cookbooks. And the thing that I am most excited about with this cookbook, it's not the recipes, actually, it's the pictures, because sometimes you pick up a cookbook and it has all of these great recipes in it, but there are no pictures. So you're just like, well, the words look delicious. (laughs) What does the food look like? And so we have a picture for every single recipe in the cookbook so you can have an idea of what the food is supposed to turn out like and decide if it looks appealing or not. And Josh did all the photography. He did a great job. And we couldn't have done this book without all the help that we got from our test group. We put together a Facebook group and we allowed 40 people to join it. And these 40 people did an amazing job of testing and giving feedback on the recipes. They made great suggestions for mods or tweaks on some of the recipes. The testing they did was amazing. Like they would cook one of the recipes, they would take it to work and share it with their friends, or they would take it on a camping trip or backpacking trip that weekend uh, and try it out actually on the trail and gave us all kinds of great feedback, Uh, even posting pictures of here's something that didn't work for me. And then we would troubleshoot back and forth. Um, The macaroons recipe was one of those where someone posted the results and she said, well, they taste great, but they were a little runny. And so we were able to troubleshoot back and forth and realized that in the recipe itself, we had not said how big to make them and they need to be pretty small. And hers were bigger than the way that that we make them. So it's little stuff like that that we were able to kind of button up and make sure that these recipes are really usable by everyone. So if you want to check out the cookbook, just go to thefirst40miles.com slash trailfuelbook. You should also be able to find it with a search on Amazon or iTunes. 
Well, we had so much fun creating this cookbook that we want you to try your hand at creating recipes for your next backpacking trip. You just need to take into account a few important things. So today we have our top five elements of a great backpacking recipe. And number one is that the ingredients are shelf stable. So that means that your recipe should include things like dried fruits, nuts, chocolate. Um, you can use those fast food packets like mustard, mayonnaise, ketchup, or boy, there's so many other fast food condiments that you could use that are just fun for livening up your meals. Oats, ramen, prepackaged mixes. You can use anything as long as it doesn't require refrigeration. We do have one little exception in the book. We have a few recipes where we use eggs. And in America, eggs aren't considered something that's shelf stable, but they're a lot more shelf stable than you think. In other countries, people store them on the kitchen counter. So it's definitely something that you can bring with you on the trail, or you also have the powdered egg option. Yum, yum. Yeah, yum, yum. It's definitely a lot more shelf stable than a whole egg. And you'll get a lot more calories per ounce because the water is taken out of powdered eggs. I think I want to try uh, dehydrating eggs in our dehydrator someday and see what happens. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> I wonder what the garage would smell like when it was done. You really wonder? <laughs> or can you guess? I can guess. <laughs> The number two element of a great backpacking recipe is that it's simple. It needs to have a short ingredient list. It needs to be easy to prepare on the trail. You know, even if it takes a little extra effort at home, that might be okay. But once you're on the trail, you just really don't feel like putting elaborate preparation into your meals. I mean, you're tired. At the end of the day, you get to camp and you just want some food quick. Or while you're on the trail, you want to be able to grab food out of your backpack and eat it right away as trail food, not have to get out all your equipment to prepare a full-on meal in the middle of the day. Plus, if it leaves a mess that you've got to clean up, that's too much of a challenge on a backpacking trip. This was a really difficult one for me to wrap my head around because I love cooking at home. And at home, I have a sink, I have an oven, I have a stove, I have this nice countertop. Everything is just right there. But when you get out on the trail, you have nothing. I mean, even washing your hands takes multiple steps. So as tempted as you may be to say, oh, well, I'll just bring along some fresh vegetables and I'll just chop them up and include those in my meal. Something like chopping an onion, there are just so many steps that you take for granted when you're at home and that will become really challenging when you're on the trail. Even just getting the smell of onion off your hands is, I don't even know how you do that when you're out backpacking. Yeah. But there are ways around it. I mean, there are dehydrated onions that you can add to your recipe while you're at home and, you know, pre-mix everything and then it's ready to go when you're on the trail. Super simple. The number three element of a great backpacking recipe is that it's flexible and adaptable. So if your recipe calls for four ounces of water and you accidentally add six, it shouldn't ruin the meal. So if your meal is too watery or too thick, it shouldn't cause a problem. We're not trying to cook souffle on the trail. Definitely not. Yeah. So like if you look at a recipe, say for tuna wraps, and you're like, I wonder if I could use those flavored tuna packets. Well, the answer is yes, please do. 
The number four element of a great backpacking recipe is my personal soapbox, (laughs) (laughs) calorie density. I talk about it a lot. Like I have these targets that I aim for, you know, at least 100 calories per ounce. Lettuce is like nine calories per ounce or something. I mean, you just could not carry enough lettuce in a backpack to supply your calorie needs for that day of backpacking. So recipes that include nuts or nut butters, dried or dehydrated food like uh, dehydrated fruits or dried grains, uh, those are great. Um, Things that are high in fats or oils are also great. Um, One that's kind of deceptive is peanut butter. Everyone thinks, wow, peanut butter, a jar of peanut butter, that's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy, but it's packed with calories. And so it's actually a very calorie-dense thing to bring on the trail. Oh, absolutely. That's a great one. One that I thought was going to be an easy win for backpacking is Velveeta. Um, Velveeta, I think the second ingredient is water. So there are better cheese choices for the trail, but definitely those nut butters, oh, that is a great way to add calories on the trail. So it's funny what you say about cheeses. I mean, what you're saying is you get something like Velveeta, it's got water in it as one of the top ingredients. It's not very calorie dense. And yet the really nice cheeses, like some Romano or a nice cheddar or something, are probably going to be more calorie dense than the Velveeta. And they're way better. Oh, I agree. And the number five element of a great backpacking recipe is that it has been tested. So all of the recipes that we created for our cookbook have been tested, not only by me and my family, but Josh talked about the testers that we had who gave us incredible feedback. And all of that feedback is going to be added to each of the recipes in the cookbook. This is a really important feature of recipes. And you'll learn a lot about your recipe by testing it out before you go out on the trail. Through all that personal testing that you do of your recipes, you also give yourself the opportunity to simplify the recipe and say, oh, you know, I did it this way, but I wonder if I leave out step number two, what happens? And so you can do all of that iterative testing at home. So when you hit the trail, you've got a recipe that you can count on. Like you've, you've done it a few times, you know it's going to work. And once you have your recipe figured out, be sure to write instructions on a little 3x5 card, or if you're going ultralight, then a a 1x3 post-it. Sure, that'll work. (laughs) Um, And stick it in your plastic zip-top bag with your food so you can remember, first of all, what it is, and second of all, how much water to add, and then third, what the steps are for putting this meal together. Okay, so let's recap a little bit. Uh, Let's say I want to figure out a new backpacking recipe. I'm tired of all the stuff that I've been bringing, or I've been spending a lot of money on the prepackaged meals. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to come up with my own backpacking meal. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do, what would I do first? I mean, we went through this top five list, and the first thing on the top five list is that the ingredients are shelf-stable. I guess maybe first of all, I need to have a goal in mind, though. Like step zero is what am I craving? And let's say I'm craving Vietnamese pho. Whoa, that's ambitious. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So that's what I'm craving. So then I go to element number one. It has to be shelf stable ingredients. The fresh veggies are probably going to come out, but I know I can find noodles and maybe I'm not going to bring pho noodles, but maybe I'll bring ramen noodles because I know those are easy to, to deal with. And maybe I don't have fresh meat, but I have some beef jerky. 
And faux usually has basil in it, so you could definitely add dried basil. Yeah, so I would get those ingredients that bring the essence of the flavor and just get dried or dehydrated versions of them. And the best faux has lime in it. That's one of my favorite components of faux. So in the spice section of our grocery store, we have this product called True Lime, and it's dehydrated lime powder. It's incredible. So definitely, I would add that to our trail faux. Great, and that'll be shelf-stable. And then element number two is that it needs to be simple. So I would probably take all those spices, like the lime and the dried basil and all those things, and pre-mix them at home. I would take the ramen noodles, the meat. I'd probably just put all of that, package it all together, so that when I get on the trail, I know it's going to be really simple for me to prepare it. And the third element is that it's flexible and adaptable. And sure enough, if I make pho and I add an extra cup of water, or I'm a little short on water, no big deal. So I think I've got that one covered. I'm trying to think if there's some other ingredient of pho that would be fun. You're still thinking about ingredients. <laughs> like you want to make this recipe now. I do. I do. I love pho. <laughs> yeah, it's I think great. this sounds awesome. But element number four is calorie dense. So I bet if I bring a little bit of sesame oil, Mmm, that would bring great flavor, but it's also calorie dense. You just blew my mind with that. Sesame <laughs> oil. I never even thought about bringing that on the trail. That's Okay, oh. next trip. <laughs> the ramen noodles will be calorie dense. The meat will be fairly calorie dense if it's um, like jerky or something dehydrated. So I, I think I'll be doing okay on calorie density there. Why is this not in our cookbook? I'm just making it up right now. What? <laughs> it means we have to actually try it and test it several times and so. kind of put it through the process, wow. which is element number five, right? So then I would make this faux at home several times and make sure that I've really got the process figured out, got the ingredients figured out, um, you know, the right proportions, the right timings, all of that. And then I'm ready to take my faux on the trail. That sounds incredible. What are we having for dinner tonight? Because I want, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We want all of our first 40 milers to have fun creating their own recipes. So if you have something that you've tried that you love, that you know you want to share, then please do share it. Of course, I'd also be happy to hear about any spectacular fails <laughs> as well. <laughs> I mean, they'll happen. Yep, I think we've had a couple. <laughs> and sometimes those failures are just as important as the successes. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Emergency Essentials Hydro Heat Flameless Cooker. This is kind of a crazy idea. You're cooking with water instead of fire, but it's heating up your food because of this little heat packet that is underneath your food. So the hydro heat is a simple way to heat up food on the trail without using fire. The hydro heat has three parts. There's an insulated plastic container that has a locking lid on top. There's a three cup stainless steel pan that fits inside that container. And there's a disposable heat packet that you purchase separately. This little packet is made of quick lime, not lime lime. It is not citrusy goodness. Josh, do you know what quicklime is? Where it came from? Where it's going after this life? Quicklime is calcium oxide. 
It's these big molecules of a whole bunch of calcium atoms and an equal number of oxygen atoms in these clumps. I mean, molecular clumps. So the atoms are all chemically bound to each other. And when quicklime is combined with water, a chemical reaction happens and just produces uh, calcium hydroxide. But in that chemical reaction, a bunch of heat is released. So it's an exothermic reaction, which in the case of the hydroheat, heats your food. So to use the hydroheat, you unwrap this heat packet and you set it in the bottom of the plastic container and you add half a cup of water. Then you place your pan on top with the food that you want to heat up and you snap the lid shut. And the water activates the heat pack and heats your food to about 150 to 175 degrees in about 5 to 10 minutes. It does not boil water, but the exothermic reaction of this quicklime packet will keep your food warm for almost an hour, which was really great when we made oatmeal with it because when you're eating oatmeal outside, it cools down really quickly. And so it was nice to have consistently warm oatmeal. It was actually hot oatmeal. It was surprisingly hot. As far as mass goes, each of the packets of quicklime weighs about 2.2 ounces, and the cooker itself weighs 15.5 ounces, or 441 grams. And I think it's important to note that the quicklime packet only works once. So when you bring a 2.2 ounce heat packet or quicklime packet, it's only going to be good for one meal. As far as maintenance goes, the packets are biodegradable. And the only thing that needs to be cleaned up after use is the stainless steel pan that sits inside the plastic container. For investment, it's $40 for the hydro heat flameless cooker. And it's $25 for a 10-pack of these little heat packets, although there's a good chance you can find them online for less. So they end up being roughly about $1.50 to $2.50 each. As far as trial goes, these little packets and this little setup of the hydro heat heats up food really well. Now, it doesn't cook or boil your food, but it keeps your food hot for a long time, which means that it's great for heating up your oats for oatmeal. All you have to do is add oats and water and maybe a little neato, and it won't boil your oatmeal, but it will heat it up enough so that it turns into real oatmeal. You won't just have oats floating in water. Um, it's really great for ramen also. That takes about, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes for the ramen to kind of become fully rehydrated. And it's also really great for warming up freeze-dried meals. One thing you'll want to watch out for with the hydroheat is the steam that comes out. The hydroheat has a locking lid, but steam does come out very forcefully. And so just make sure that your fingers aren't in the way when you're opening up the hydroheat to check on your food. When we were driving home from a backpacking trip last year, you pulled out something and it wasn't the hydroheat, but it was the same concept. It was uh, that powder that gets, you add a little water and it starts getting hot. And I didn't really know what you were doing in the passenger seat. Oh my seat. goodness. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never done it before. The instructions just said, add water to this little, you know, heat packet. So we're driving down the highway and all of a sudden I hear this hissing sound and I see this steam rather violently um, yeah. coming out of a package over on the passenger side of the car. And I'm like, what is going on? Do we need to pull over and jump out? <laughs> I think we did. It was surprisingly... It was violent. Violent. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. 
So there are a couple applications in which I think this stove is particularly helpful. Number one would be in wintertime backpacking because these packets stay warm for a long, long time. And so that can provide some comfort as you're sitting there with your meal. You're not going to end up with cold chicken a la king. You're going to have this warm bowl that you're holding and it's going to be really nice in those winter months. The second application, which I think this can be really helpful, is if you're trying to encourage your children to be more self-reliant on the trail, but you don't want them using a jet boil or a pocket rocket. This flameless cooker, you know, even though there are some risks with the steam and everything, it's probably going to be a lot safer than something where they're having to light pressurized fuel canisters or balance a pot of boiling water on top of a stove. So there's, I guess I would say, decreased risk with the hydro heat. So if you want to check out the Emergency Essentials Hydro Heat Flameless Cooker, we will have a link in the show notes. And today's show notes are at thefirst40miles.com slash 107. Today's backpack hack of the week is my favorite trail breakfast. In fact, I don't know how many episodes we've had where I have teased our listeners about this breakfast. It's your granola recipe. Yay! And every time we talk about breakfast, I just talk about how amazing it is to just take your granola with a little bit of pre-cooked bacon and then just sit out there in the trees on a mountainside somewhere, and it's heaven. And I've kept saying, you know, someday we got to share that recipe. Today is the day. So in the cookbook, we call this high-fat granola. We probably should have come up with a more pleasant-sounding name for it, like Mountain High Granola or something, you know. Yeah, but I think you were trying to please me. (laughs) And so high-fat granola just totally speaks to me. Okay, well, here is the official First 40 Miles sanctioned recipe for granola. Here we go. Two cups of oats, and it doesn't matter if they're quick oats or old-fashioned. Two cups of sweetened flake coconut, and you'll want to measure that out so it's not all packed in. One cup of chopped walnuts or chopped... Chopped anything. Fill in the blank. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, really. Any kind of nuts, but walnuts are so, so good. A half cup of canola oil or coconut oil. And I say go for the coconut oil. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. And both work equally well. A half cup of honey or pancake syrup. And pancake syrup can be the cheap stuff or the expensive stuff. And then you'll want to add one-fourth teaspoon of salt. So at home, you'll want to mix all the ingredients together and then spread the mixture evenly on a parchment-lined cookie sheet. And then you'll want to bake this for 30 minutes at 350 degrees, stirring every 10 minutes. Now, if you don't stir it every 10 minutes, then the edges are going to get very, very browned. And so you want to make sure you stir every 10 minutes so all of the oats have an equal opportunity to get browned and toasty and crunchy. It's going to be so good, I promise. Then, after 30 minutes, you'll want to remove the granola from the oven and let it cool completely. And when you first remove the granola from the oven, it'll still be soft. So you're going to think, oh, maybe I didn't cook this long enough. It's not crunchy yet. No, that's okay. Once it cools, it becomes crunchy. Like the perfect crunch. Like that crunch that you crave in granola. It's so good. 
After it cools, then you package the whole thing in a quart freezer zip top bag and then use it within two weeks. Now you can definitely just eat this with your hands, um, just like as a snack, or if you want to eat it as a breakfast cereal, then we recommend packing Neato instant whole milk along with your granola. And the ratio for Neato is one cup of Neato to four cups of water. So when you take this granola on the trail, you can either bring the Neato separately, or if you kind of want to have a self-contained breakfast, you can measure out the granola and then put the Neato inside with the granola, which I think is how Josh does it. That's how I do it. Then I just add water on the trail and voila, I've got granola in milk. It was cool when we shared this recipe with our uh, 40 testers. This was the first recipe we shared because it's my favorite. And I think it was their favorite too. I mean, we just got wild responses from them where they tried it out, they took it to work, um, took it on the trail, and then they came up with some amazing tweaks and or mods or hacks on this granola recipe that were just really fun to hear about. So we've put those into the cookbook along with this recipe. Yeah, and even though this recipe just has six ingredients, you can go wild with it. If you happen to have other little bits and pieces of things that you want to throw in with this recipe. It's an extremely adaptable, very forgiving recipe. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, be bold about your actions. All life is an experiment. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a recent backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. say it what? you were gonna say something <laughs> you can tell <clears throat> no i'll start and you can take it and we'll just see where Go it goes <laughs> okay all right i think on a lot of trail wisdoms i say oh this is my favorite but this really is one of my favorite <laughs> quotes yeah <laughs>